0: You're listening to the Earn That Body Podcast, episode number 226. Welcome to the Earn That Body Show with Kim Eagle. Kim is an award-winning personal trainer. She trains her clients all over the world online and is passionate about empowering people by getting fit and healthy. Welcome back to the Earn That Body Podcast. We have a great subject for you today but first I just want to congratulate everyone who is in the Run Power program. We just finished our first week and I too am doing the program with everybody. It's been so much fun and I have to say I am so excited for everyone who is just loving the workouts and truly feeling like it's shocking their system with something new and that is always the way to go if you are trying to get faster or more fit or lose weight you gotta shock your body with something new. And I'm so excited that this program is working for people. And I have to say, a lot of people added something called private nutrition onto the program. And for everyone who just started this week with private nutrition, it was some of the best weight loss in just four days that I saw um, between the nutrition and these new workouts. So I was really excited for everyone. Now, if you are interested in doing the Run Power program, you can still do it. It would be done on your own, meaning we don't do the big private group that we have right now. But there is an accountability option, so you can still do the Run Program. The one run power program anytime. You would always start on a Monday. If you want to do the accountability program, you just check in with me to see when my first availability is. But check it out at Her, spelled R-U-N-P-O-W-H-E-R dot com for all of that information. Now, today that kind of rolls into a great topic for us, which is when is it safe to go back to the gym? A question some of my clients have been asking me because some of my clients want to go back to the gym. Some of my clients who are now loving all of the online opportunities that I've given them in the Earn That Body program or ETB Live are telling me they're never going back to the gym because it is such a waste of time to drive there, to drive back, chatting with people while you're there. You know, you might be burning up over an hour of your time when you can get a lot more done at home. But that being said, some people want to go back to the gym and they're asking me, "Is it safe to go back?" So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to I'm going to give you some actual examples from some doctors who have commented on this. What you should be looking for in your gym before you go back so that you can make the most informed choice if it's appropriate for you, right? And and I really have to preface this and tell you that You have to weigh the risks versus the rewards right now in going back to the gym, and that might be different for everyone. But before you can even make that decision, here are some details I'm going to give you about the spread of COVID in gyms and what you should look for, because maybe you can pick certain classes that might be better than others or even a certain gym that might be better than another if it is important to you. So all of that after this. And now, it's time for the Eagle's Eye on Health. These are Kim's quick tips, latest health news, or piece of weekly inspiration. Today, I have a great article from Dr. Andrew Weil. He is a definite favorite of mine. I'm sure you've heard me discuss some of his information before. Dr. Andrew Weil is a medical doctor. He is an MD, but he focuses on a lot of alternative therapies. Well, he recently came out with an article, and it asks if... A sweetener, like evaporated cane juice, is a better kind of sugar. Or I should say someone asked him if evaporated cane juice is just like sugar, worse than sugar, better than sugar. So just so you understand, evaporated cane juice is just what the name says. It's fresh sugar cane juice that is evaporated, and then they actually crystallize it. It is a straw colored, it has a rich flavor. It uh, It's, some people say it's a richer flavor even than a white sugar. And other than having some trace minerals, which aren't found in your basic white sugar, there's not really a difference between this cane sugar and white sugar. The problem with all types of sugar is not that they are inherently bad for you, according to Dr. Andrew Well. but what we consume is that we consume too much of them, right? So I always tell people also sugar is not the devil. It's how much sugar you're taking in. Now, sugary foods and drinks contribute to obesity. They contribute to tooth decay, diabetes. They can also raise the glycemic index of meals and put a huge burden on the pancreas, raising raising that risk of insulin resistance, which, of course, then can lead to the diabetes level. And although there's no scientific proof of a connection, a ton of parents possibly you, notice that your children tend to become very hyperactive after eating a lot of sweet things. Now, the body converts all caloric sweeteners to glucose for metabolic fuel, but some contain more fructose than others. And it is important to try to limit fructose consumption. Both the white sugar and the evaporated cane juice are 50% fructose. Honey has slightly less, and agave syrup has much more, while maple syrup has significantly less, which is interesting and good because I have to have maple syrup every morning in my oatmeal. (laughs) Now, according to the American Heart Association, American adults consume an average of 77 grams of added sugar daily, and that is more than three times the amount recommended for women. Kids consume 81 grams daily, which adds up to more than 65 pounds of added sugar per year. Now, according to Dr. Andrew Weil, he feels that while sugar has a place in moderation in a healthy diet, we do need to pay attention to the amount we consume in desserts in snacks, fruit juices, fruits, prepared foods, beverages. What about all those sodas as well? And if you're concerned about the effect of sugar on your health, you might want to try without all the types of, um, what should I say? You you might want to try going without it, I guess you could say, for a few days. (laughs) <laughs> see how that feels? Because Dr. Andrew Weil feels that if you give it up for a few days and you feel depression, you feel fluctuating energy, you have incredible mood swings without the sugar, then obviously cutting out sugar might make a noticeable difference in your life if it's already impacting you in just a few days. So sometimes if you want to know if you have a problem with eating too much sugar, just try to cut it off for a few days and see if you have some of these incredible negative sort of side effects. They're like detoxes basically, right? And that would be a sign that you are probably taking in way too much sugar. So you don't want your body to start depending on it. So as he says, it really doesn't matter if it's evaporated cane juice or sugar. They both our sugar. At the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. So just keeping things in moderation. I tell my clients all the time, like, yes, you can have sweets. I I try to get my clients to have sweet treats on the weekends. I try to make it sort of that what if it's a hard rule that we don't have sweets during the week? For me, that really works. Like, just I just don't have sweets like that, um, processed type sweets, like a cookies and things like that during the week. I try to save them for the weekends. And even then, I don't have the entire box of cookies. I have, you know, a serving size of cookie and or cookies, depends on the cookie. And that really, you know, helps me still enjoy a sweet treat, but not going over the top and not getting sort of sugar dependent on it by having something every night. When I see a client who is having sweets every single night, I try to make them understand that if you have a piece of chocolate every single night after dinner, I can promise you that you will crave a piece of chocolate every night after dinner. And so it just becomes a habit and a craving that you're creating. And unfortunately, you just have to give it a hard stop. <laughs> Otherwise, it will certainly continue. But once you can get past that, you know, there there are going to be a few hard days. It's sort of just like stopping alcohol or something like that. A few hard days of of not having the sugar, and all of a sudden you get your energy back and you feel better overall. So again, sugar is okay, it is not the devil. It's just limiting and making sure that you have it in moderation. Okay, so is it safe to go back to the gym? It's been over one year since the COVID pandemic started. And many gyms were shut down for a long, long time, as we know. And a lot of people started walking outdoors, doing more hiking, uh, getting into running. A lot of people got home bikes like the Peloton or even started a lot of my programs. I sold a lot of my programs during the pandemic because all of them, like willpower, can all be done online, all workout videos that you can do from home. So a lot of people definitely went that way and continued to exercise, but did it from home. Now, what works for some does not work for all. And I totally understand that. Meaning many people are dying right now to go back to their gyms because the reality is they are not getting the job done at home. And from what I've seen, and in talking to a lot of people who have or haven't been working out at home effectively, the home thing isn't really working out for people generally unless they're on some kind of program uh, that's sort of giving you daily guidance. So if you just have weights at home or, you know, a stationary bike at home or a treadmill It's not that enticing to do those things unless you know what to do or someone gives you an actual workout. So those people are really struggling, even though they have all these opportunities to work out at home, like a treadmill and a stationary bike or free weights, they're just not doing anything. And again, it seems to be people who just don't have any kind of program or class or video to watch, and they need the extra accountability of hitting the gym and taking a class or working out with their trainer. Well, every state right now in the United States now has gyms open in some type of capacity, which is great. But does that mean there is no risk for COVID? And does it mean there's some risk? Or does it mean it's still super high risk? And is it time for any of us to go back right now? Well, let me go over some interesting case studies that I read. I I recently read a great article in the New York Times And there were some very interesting case studies that sort of definitely sort of piqued my interest into where things were at and where things are at. Now, here's a a perfect story. Um, Last summer, a 37-year-old fitness instructor in Hawaii taught a spin class to 10 people. And he was basically on a bike in the front of the classroom facing his students, as all spin classes are, and, you know, encouraging them and and teaching and probably shouting a little here and there, right? The doors and the windows were closed, but three large floor fans had a little breeze going to help everyone stay cool. And as a precaution against COVID-19, all of the bikes were spaced out at least six feet apart. At the time, the gym didn't require people to wear masks as well, because that was last summer. But just four hours after this class, the instructor began feeling fatigued. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> By the morning, he had chills, body aches, a cough, and other respiratory symptoms. And wouldn't you know it, then he tested positive for coronavirus. And eventually, everyone, everyone, who attended his class that day, tested positive too. Now, the outbreak didn't stop there, unfortunately. A 46-year-old fitness instructor who attended the SPIN class went on to infect another 11 people during personal training sessions and kickboxing classes over the next few days before he also fell ill and was in intensive care. Now, the case of the Hawaii spin instructor was definitely alarming because of the efficiency with which the virus left his respiratory tract and swirled around that enclosed classroom and reaching literally every single person in the room. Among epidemiologists, that's known as a hundred attack rate and it's a lesson in why group fitness classes which often encourage that super high energy huffing and puffing in a very poorly ventilated classroom I'm sure you know a lot of those kind of cycle studios that's how there are so many of them are designed they're like little hot boxes they present such a challenge right now to infection control now there is an engineering professor, Lindsay Marr. Um, she's from Virginia Tech and she's one of the world's leading experts on viral transmission. Well, thankfully, she's also an avid exerciser herself, and she also wanted to get back to her CrossFit classes, Um, but as the pandemic wore on, she definitely grew weary of what she should do. So she actually worked with the owner of her CrossFit gym. They examined the building plans, and they calculated potential class size and ventilation patterns in the facility to see what they could do to really... Maximize protection. Now, she did have concerns, and she still has concerns, and these are what some of the things are that she thinks about in terms of transmission. Dr. Mars said that the challenge with a lot of these group fitness classes is that the participants are doing what? They're breathing super heavy, right? I mean, we all know what these classes are like. It could be a kickboxing class. It could be a spin class. It could be, there are even treadmill classes out there. And when you're doing those things, what are you doing? You're inhaling and you're exhaling at a very high volume, much, much higher than when you're at rest. And if someone is there in that room, huffing and puffing, who happens to be infected, they're actually releasing more of the virus into the air, according to Dr. Ma, and the people around them are also breathing super heavy. So guess what? They're taking in a lot more. So you can see where like one thing makes it bad. If you have it and you're breathing super hard, you're exhaling more out. And if you don't have it, you're inhaling and exhaling super hard and you're breathing more in. You're breathing four times as hard, she says. And the person who is sick is breathing four times as hard as well. So you're breathing in 16 times more than you would under a non-exercise condition. So being in the gym is definitely going to be a risk, right? And because of the potential for heavy breathing, Dr. Marr suggested increasing the physical distance even beyond the six feet. She feels that the workout space should be at least 10 feet of that standard recommendation. And to achieve that level of spacing, it really requires limiting the class size or having a really, really large place and room that you can offer a workout. Now, what if you wear a mask? Wearing a mask during exercise is recommended by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, but I thought this was really interesting because Dr. Marr said and noted that with that heavy breathing that you get... With the intense exercise, the mask material gets very moist, and when it gets moist like this, it loses its effectiveness. The level of protection provided by masks is so variable that we just can't rely on them alone. So yes, you should still wear a mask, but just know that as it gets moist, it's actually losing even more of its effectiveness. So again, a bit of a risk. Now, what about ventilation? Because that is definitely a huge component here. And for Dr. Marr and her gym, they felt the solution was to open multiple garage-style doors. Even in the middle of winter, they did this. And to make sure that the ventilation was adequate, the gym got a carbon dioxide monitor to measure the buildup of carbon dioxide in a room. because. As you probably know, humans exhale carbon dioxide, and its level can actually be an indicator of how well a room is ventilated. Under everyday conditions, like while shopping at a supermarket, An indoor carbon dioxide reading of 800 parts per million would mean that the ventilation levels are adequate to reduce the risk of breathing in other people's exhaled germs. But given that whole heavy breathing thing that occurs during a workout, Dr. Marr advised trying to keep the indoor carbon dioxide levels even lower to about 500 parts per million million, and to increase the ventilation if that number started to creep up towards 600. Now, according to Dr. Marr's, her CrossFit gym did space people 10 feet apart. They were able to increase this ventilation and so far are having really good success with not having COVID transmission. So that is great. It is awesome when you work out in a place that has that garage-style door opportunity, but most of the big gym facilities don't have that, so it's something to keep in mind. Now, one question that came up for me is, Would the type of exercise in the classroom actually make a difference? And the doctor feels that definitely, yes, the type of exercise does. And while COVID can spread in any type of indoor class for sure, the risk is always going to go up as exercise intensity increases because of of that breathing rate. The volume of air someone breathes in and out every minute is called minute ventilation rate. And according to another doctor, Dr. Michael Cole, the Director of Environmental Physiology Lab at the University of British Columbia, and also an expert on respiration, um, it naturally rises more, he says, during strenuous workouts, such as a spin or a dance class, than in lighter workouts, which absolutely makes sense. Lighter workouts being things like yoga or Pilates. Now, at low intensities, like the yoga, the Pilates, and even some types of strength work, you can breathe a lot more through your nose. And in case you didn't know this, nose breathing is always going to be better than mouth breathing for these situations of risk of COVID, because the nose is actually a natural filter. So if you can breathe through your nose in yoga and Pilates, and like I said, some strength work, that's definitely a better that's That's better. (laughs) You want to be able to do that. Another important factor is that it is more comfortable to usually wear a mask in those lighter type workouts. Um, Wearing a mask during strength training and lower intensity exercises like yoga and Pilates, that mask isn't terrible. I mean, no, we'd prefer not to wear it at all, but it's so hard to wear a mask when you're doing high intensity exercise. And they definitely all say, all the doctors out there say, but people do need to be wearing these masks indoors. That's a 100% given. So... All these things you have to take into account. So if you are gonna go to the gym, you know, maybe you take the lower impact classes where some of the huffing and puffing breathing is just not as bad because that's gonna limit some of that risk. Now you might be wondering, well, how do you know if the room at your gym has adequate ventilation? It's hard to know, right? And gyms and fitness classes, they are advised right now to meet certain ventilation standards But it's tough for the average person to know whether a building's ventilation system is adequate enough for infection control. I mean, that's not something that most of us know when we walk in. Now, things you can look for, like high ceilings, that's a good thing. You definitely would want that. And if you can smell someone, they say that's a bad thing, (laughs) right? And it's so funny that they said that. If you can smell someone, that means the ventilation is not very good. And I always think it's funny because as a runner right now, when I run by someone and I only run outside, I always try to run like six feet apart if someone's coming at me. I try to get into the road so that there's some distance between us. But once in a while, I have smelled someone's like perfume. And to me, that says, oh, that's not good. Like if I was close enough that I can now smell that That is not a good sign. And that's outside, right? So if you're indoors and you can smell somebody, whether it's a good perfume smell or a bad smell, that would definitely be not a great size. Now, ideally, a group class should be held in a room with open windows, open doors that are on opposite sides of the room because that's what creates that cross ventilation. A classroom with only one entrance and no windows at all, which is a common situation in a lot of gyms, right? Probably doesn't have adequate ventilation to keep you very safe. Uh, Adding several portable air cleaners to a space that lacks a lot of doors or a lot of windows, it could help. It would be much better if you can get cross ventilation. And you get that by opening doors and windows on opposite sides. So this is something else you might want to look at if you're looking to go back to a gym. Does your gym have a big open room with doors and windows? Or is that cycle studio totally, you know, blocked off with four walls and a door? A lot of these cycle studios, and let's face it, the soul cycles out there created these very unique studios in where you go into a little box and you sit in a box of steam. <laughs> they barely have any ventilation at all, and they have one door, no windows. And those are probably the worst places you can go right now if you are concerned about the risk of COVID. So think about the gym. Maybe you even start looking around at different gyms to see which ones might have better ventilation. Now, what about fans, right? Overhead exhaust fans or window fans that pull air out of the room, that's great. But you want to avoid any class that uses fans to recirculate air and cool down the room. Fans that recirculate air in the room just increase, of course, that risk of viral spread. Now, you might also wonder, well, how far apart should I stand? Well, six feet of distancing is recommended by public health officials for most situations. But as we said, Dr. Mar said earlier, she thinks 10 feet in front of you to either side of you and behind you is what's going to be much safer during exercise. So again, think about your gym. When you go take a kickboxing class, are they making it? in a way where you'll be able to have 10 feet in front, to the side, and behind you. Like some gyms are doing a really nice job of sort of separating out with some tape on the floor, like where your zone is and you have to stay in your zone. And if it's not 10 feet, you should know that that risk for you might be increased. Then another great question is, well, how many people should even be in the class, right? Well, states have different rules for class size, with some limiting attendance to 25% to 40% of capacity, and others are allowing no more than 9 or 10 people per class. According to Dr. Marr, um, this class size is really determined by how far apart the people can stand. When people can stand 10 feet of distance from one another on all of the sides, that is going to be sort of the limiting factor for the class size and is often why a class might only be 10 people or fewer. If you cannot achieve that much space between you and other participants, including the instructor, of course, you might want to try a different class. Now, as I said, should you wear a mask? It's a good idea to wear a mask, everyone, and many states will still require them, but you can't rely on that mask to protect you 100%, just so you know. The mask quality varies, and during exercise, masks get moist, as Dr. Marr said, and it reduces their filtering efficiency. And while many gyms require masks to enter, mask wearing often is not enforced or even required in the actual exercise classes. So again, if you're researching the gym, if you're going back to your gym or looking for a new gym, you should find out what is their policy on mask wearing. Is someone enforcing it as well? Because there's nothing more irritating than going in anywhere where the sign says, masks are mandatory, and then you go in and people aren't wearing their masks. And like, you don't wanna be the negative Nelly who's like calling the manager and pointing, that person isn't wearing their mask. But honestly, in a gym, like that is unacceptable if the gym has a rule that you have to wear a mask. And now you know with the big huffing and puffing, you're already at an increased risk right there. So. Find out if your gym or the gym you're looking at has a mask policy. Um, Is there a way to monitor the air in your fitness class? That is like, come on. I mean, who can monitor the air? Because honestly, I don't think that very many facilities like Dr. Mars have a carbon dioxide monitor. However, it is worth asking your facility if they do have one in a group fitness room and if you can check it, because if you can check it, then you can see what the levels are at. And if they are below 600 parts per million, closer to 500 is what she recommends, then that's a sign that the room has great ventilation. But if not, if those numbers are increasing, you would want them to be opening the door, opening the window, and if not, you should should leave the class. I find it hard to believe that many gyms do have carbon dioxide monitors, but I don't know. It's a great question. Maybe more and more are to sort of help alleviate the concerns of risk. So again, might be something that you can ask if you're checking out the gyms. Um, Now, what if you've been vaccinated? Because so many of us have been vaccinated. I as well am completely vaccinated. Does that mean you don't have to worry about it and you can go to any gym now and you don't have to wear a mask and you're not going to get it so you don't have to worry? Your risk for contracting coronavirus or developing serious illness drops dramatically if you've been vaccinated. So that's the good news, right? But people who are vaccinated, they are still advised to take all the same precautions as everyone else in a public setting. Why do you think that is? Well, unfortunately, some people still can get COVID once you're vaccinated. The good thing is, if you get COVID once you're vaccinated, you're probably barely going to feel it, know it. You're barely going to have symptoms. And my understanding is no one has gone into the hospital um, with a very high-level infection due to COVID if you're vaccinated. So that's the good thing. But the bad thing is there's a lot of strains out there right now, and they're saying that some are covered by the vaccine, some aren't. Really what they're saying is they don't know because this is all so new, right? And so even if you're vaccinated, you still wanna be cautious right now. There's a lot of unknowns about COVID-19, about all of these different variants. So the best thing that you can possibly do to protect yourself is to still follow all of the guidelines when you're in a place like a gym, which is definitely high risk. Now, the last thing is what about the cleaning and the disinfection? Is that really making a difference? Well, everyone should still be washing their hands and wiping down all of that gym equipment, right? So when COVID first started and people were still going to the gym, I mean, hand washing was definitely taken to the highest level and you're you're wiping everything there could possibly be. I mean, even before there was COVID, I always used to tell people, gyms are the most high bacteria, viral, everything. Like people are like wiping their noses, they're sweating, they're touching the weights, they're they're not washed in between each. You know, each client who touches everything and the flu is going around, I always used to tell people, do not touch your face in the gym. Like if you're touching the weights and then you're doing this and that, go wash your hands before you get in your car. Like don't touch your face. That was before COVID. (laughs) Now it's like everything is magnified. You still want to sanitize an area. You still want to wipe down everything before and after you use it. Um, But they are saying that maintaining a normal level of cleaning, yes, it is appropriate, but any extra time that a gym has to put into risk control, uh, infection control, really should be geared towards cleaning the air because that is much more of where the risk is than the sanitation. But by all means, everything should still be wiped down. Now, in my opinion, do not count on the gym to be wiping everything down, even though they might tell you, we wipe everything every five minutes, or we wipe every... They simply probably can't be everywhere at every minute. And someone could touch something, or sneeze on something, or cough on something, and maybe they weren't wearing the mask, even though they were supposed to go ahead and make sure you wipe down anything before you touch it that would definitely protect you just a little bit more so is it safe to go back to the gym you have to make that decision for you. You have to ask yourself, is it worth it to you? If you are not exercising at home and you've put on 15 COVID pounds and you know you're not gonna work out at home and this is just gonna go on for another year and you really want to go back to the gym, like that is your place where you know you can get things back on track, then what I recommend to you is that you find a gym that's keeping participants 10 feet apart that's limiting class sizes, that's requiring you wear a mask, and that has the best ventilation possible. You know, some gyms are even doing things outdoors. So if you're that person who's like, yes, it is that important for me, then just think about all the things we just discussed and see if you can find the most appropriate gym that is at least being the safest. Because Trust me, everyone, you don't want to get COVID. Like, we just don't understand enough about it. And some people die. Perfectly healthy people, right? So I just want to prevent everyone from having to go through that. And so if the gym is important to you, you have to weigh the risks versus the reward. But that is a personal choice. If you're just feeling like, oh, I don't think it's safe yet for me, then work out from home. There are so many amazing home workouts now. Like if you have a treadmill, oh my God, there's so many great workouts you can do on a treadmill. If you have a stationary bike, same thing. Um, Like I have so many programs that I've always offered online. You know, for me... COVID benefited my business because I was already a 100% online coach and trainer. So I always have used online fitness and I work with so many moms. They don't have time to go to the gym and put the baby in the daycare. Like they want to work out from home. So just know if you don't feel safe yet going back because the risks are still so high. There are many wonderful home opportunity. There are free online YouTube classes that you could take as well. You don't have to pay for something. But what I am seeing is that the people who are the most successful with making the workouts happen from home are the people who are on some kind of program, whether it's my willpower program or now the run power program, which is awesome because you can run outside. You don't have to do that inside. Um, When people are on a program or following a class, like they have the Peloton and they are just religious about taking a class, those are the people who are getting the job done. So if you feel like you want to work out from home, but you don't know what to do, find some kind of program or video or class online that you can do so that it gives you that little extra accountability and so you have a plan, because you're just more likely to make it work at that point. And that's really it. Again, it's it's a personal choice. Weigh the risk versus the reward. Take everything you've heard today, and when you go into your gym, or if you're thinking about a gym, if you're exploring different options, maybe you research a few, just check out those things, you know, find out what their rules are, their policies, their gym class size, the mass, all of that so that you can make the most informed decision that will benefit your health. There you have it. All right, everyone, have a fantastic, safe week ahead. Uh, just remember that the Earn That Body podcast is always here to bring you fitness, nutrition and health information you can put into play right away. I Always appreciate when you guys share my podcast episodes online. If you're listening, take a little picture, put it online. If you love the podcast, that is the best way to thank me. It helps me spread the word about the podcast so I can pay health forward.